0: Thank you for downloading this podcast of Andy's movie mashup from GFM 107.1. For rights reasons, the music has been removed, so it's just me talking. Enjoy. Playing that in tribute to uh, Margot Kidder, who very sadly died this week. I think for lots of people, maybe the definitive uh, Lois Lane on film. Um, certainly for me, anyway. I was kind of obsessed with that movie when I was um, a teenager. Uh, Superman, that is. Okay, uh, on this week's show, I'm going to be looking at, finally, The Greatest Showman. and what will I make of that? Um, also, a movie called Molly's Game, from earlier this year. In fact, there were, all these movies came out earlier this year, for a change. And um, All the Money in the World, with no Kevin Spacey, but Christopher Plummer. Uh, also, um, movies that are on TV this weekend, what's on at local venues, and... Uh, Some DVD picks. Uh, No new Good Robot Andy's podcast. I think we'll be recording next week. Next week. Okay, so on with the show. Here's some more music. This is Sonoreal with a track called Strong. And this is from um, uh, Cinderella, the live-action Cinderella that came out a couple of years ago. Uh, That was uh, Jimmy Buffett, or Buffet, maybe, as it's uh, from Jurassic World, (laughs) Uh, because humans are indeed... On the buffet, and before that, we had Sonoril with a track called Strong that is from Cinderella that was released a couple of years ago. Okay, so first movie this week is The Greatest Showman. This is a 2017 American musical film directed by Michael Gracie in his directorial debut, written by Jenny Bix and Bill Condon, and starring Hugh Jackman, Zach Efron, Michelle Williams, Rebecca Ferguson, and Zendaya. The film is inspired by the story of P.T. Barnum's creation of the Barnum and Bailey Circus and the lives of its star attractions. So, this came out um, uh, very late on in 2017, uh, last year, obviously, uh, December, I think. uh, Had a budget of 84 million, has taken so far, because I think it's still on release, it's still being shown in some cinemas. So far, it's taken 431.2. That is a thumping success for a film that on release didn't get the best reviews. So, uh, the movie begins uh, actually quite stylishly, uh, very moodily lit, interestingly shot, and uh, has Barnum, played by Hugh Jackman, performing a show at the circus in a flashback. Uh, Then it it cuts to a flashback uh, to his childhood where his father, who is a tailor, um, who works for the Hallett family, and uh, Barnum himself becomes infatuated with their daughter, Charity. Although Charity um, is being sent to finishing school, he reassures her that they will not be separated and they end up marrying. They end up having children um, and they... uh, Her dad, uh, when they get married, says it won't last long. You're not going to amount to anything, basically, Uh, and this is mainly what seems to drive him on. Um, So, if you don't know anything about Barnum, actually, there was a—I'm pretty sure there was a musical version of um, of Barnum uh, on the stage quite a few years ago now, 1980s, I think—that. Uh, my wife's just texted in saying huge action yes indeed Uh, Barnum is played by huge action Uh, so there was a musical version of this on the stage played by Michael Crawford that um, when I heard that that this was being made into a movie I thought oh maybe it's going to be something like that which actually had pretty good reviews I have I have quite a lot of issues with this film so Barnum was I think he coined the phrase there's one born every minute and quite a few other Uh, less flattering phrases about the general public. Um, His circus, as it was, you know, uh, as circuses did back then, exploited animals. It exploited people with physical deformities and uh, tall people, fat people, dwarves, that kind of thing. It's all there. Uh, The trouble with it is that it doesn't show them being exploited. It shows them kind of um, being on board with it. And, uh, you know, singing songs about how great it is to be in the circus and that kind of thing. That's a bit of a problem. And I think that if the film was better, then I'd have less of an issue with that. And I kind of wanted... Well, I do want... I think the definitive movie about Barnum has yet to be made. Um, Certainly this one whitewashes his life and his achievements massively uh, in favour of... Some not very memorable songs, and that is for me at least one of the biggest problems about the film. The other problem about it is is that it's it looks flat, so what that means is um, the opening sequence, which is very interestingly shot it 's interestingly lit, it looks good, but the rest of the film looks flat and uninvolving and pedestrian, and straight down the middle straight down straight down the line, middle of the road safe musical movie about the life of a man who was, you know, I would say led a somewhat suspect life in terms of the things that he did and the people that he exploited. That's not to say that there aren't, there aren't any good things in this. I think that huge action, you know, once again puts in a decent performance, but I don't think I've ever seen a, a movie where he hasn't put in a decent performance. You know, we know he can sing. Zac Efron can also sing. Zendaya can sing. Uh, Rebecca Ferguson puts on a bizarre, but not, not the X Factor winner, but actually the actress, uh, puts on a bizarre performance in, a, in something that's supposed to be opera, but isn't really. She's, she plays the opera singer Jenny Lind, that some people might know. I, I vaguely know of Jenny Lind, um, who doesn't have an affair with Barnum. That's not really a spoiler. Uh, And I remember when Mark Kermode reviewed this the first time. He actually went back and watched it a second time, mainly due to pressure from so many letters that uh, Kermode and Mayo's film review had saying, this is a fantastic movie, you should go and see it again, but it's not the film that you think it is, etc., etc. He went back to see it and he said, yeah, it's a little bit better than I thought, and I did end up humming one of the songs. But I cannot... I watched this over the weekend. I cannot remember a single song from this movie after after having seen it once um, and that is a problem. i think for a musical it's a huge problem huge problem and uh I understand that this film has managed to reach an audience and has done incredibly well and i don't regret- begrud- i don't begrudge it that at all, but it's i didn't get on with it at all. Not at all. I watched it with my wife, and she was studying me quite closely, actually, to see what I thought of it. I was trying to go in with an open mind, but I just ended up not liking it. It didn't win me over, I think is what I could say. Uh, and But it has certainly found an audience, and I can't really argue with that because people are enjoying it. So, And there's no accounting for that, is what I would say. Um... So, on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a rating of 56%, and it says, The Greatest Showman tries hard to dazzle the audience with a Barnum-style sense of wonder, but at the expense of its complex subjects, far more intriguing real-life story. Yeah, it really is. He did did lead a real-life, interesting life, an interesting story that I think has yet to be made, has yet to be shown. So... Uh, it's pretty good, uh, and uh, it is rated PG, and it's out now on DVD and Blu-ray. Um, if you want to watch it again, presumably, you know, if you like it, you're going to watch it again. Maybe you'll have a sing-along party at your house, which would be nice. Now, that was Hugh Jackman, or huge Action, and the cast of The Greatest Showman, with a track called From On" That actually opens the movie... Um, And it is very striking, the opening of the film, in terms of the way it looks, the way it's shot, the way it's lit. Uh, But sadly for me, it was all downhill from there. Uh, Before that was um, Zac Efron and Zendaya, with a track called Rewrite the Stars. Okay, second movie this week is Molly's Game. It's a 2017 American crime drama film, written and directed by Aaron Sorkin in his directorial debut. Another debut based on the memoir Molly's Game, the true story of the 26-year-old woman behind the most exclusive high-stakes underground poker game in the world by Molly Bloom. It stars Jessica Chastain as Molly Bloom, Idris Elba, Kevin Costner, Michael Cera, Brian Darcy James, Chris O'Dowd, Bill Camp, Graham Green, Claire Rankin, Joe Keery and Jeremy Strong. And the film follows Bloom, who's played by Chastain, who becomes the target of an FBI investigation of the underground poker empire she runs for Hollywood celebrities, athletes, business tycoons and the Russian mob. So this came out at the end of last year in the United States. I think it came out um, this year, Um, had a budget of 30 million, took 53.4, which is not bad. So the the movie starts, as it means to go on, with Jessica Chastain in voiceover mode. Uh, So she is talking about uh, how she uh, started out as a mogul skier. That's not something I'm familiar with. This is a type of downhill skiing that's very precise and very dangerous. Uh, Her father was um, sort of her mentor and her coach, played by Kevin Costner, a very demanding father, daughter sporting relationship, there's a lot of those around and um, in a qualifying event for the 2002 Winter Olympics, Molly is severely injured which ends her career. So instead of um, following her original plan of attending law school, she decides to take a year off and moves to LA and then she arrives, she becomes a bottle service waitress at a club where she meets Dean, who is an ostentatious and unpleasant and quite unsuccessful real estate developer. But she becomes his office manager. She gets paid quite well for it. uh, And she soon gets involved in running his underground poker games. Uh, There are many famous and wealthy individuals, movie stars, bankers, sports players. And she earns a lot of money just from the tips on that. And starts to kind of um, professionalise his business, as it were. He's like a really unpleasant small man who talks to everyone like they're an idiot and uh, doesn't have any money, but pretends that he does. Uh, you know, consistently loses at poker all the time. Uh, but she gets enough contacts to start running poker games on her own, something that she does, becomes hugely successful at it by hiring all the right people, uh, mainly sort of um, attractive, smart women who can wind um, desperate men round their little fingers to get what they want. And um, it's here that things start to go a little bit off the rails because she realises that she's losing money. She can't afford to pay out because a lot of of the players are losing. And uh, it's at this point... That she gets approached by the mob, the Italian mob, who say, look, uh, we know that you're in trouble and um, we think we can do something to help you. And she turns them down. Things then go horribly wrong. And it's at that point that the FBI get involved. Um, she then hires a lawyer, played by Idris Elba, uh, to try and get her off the charges, uh, which involve illegal poker games. Uh, they're illegal because she's been taking a cut. That's what makes them illegal. Otherwise, they wouldn't be. It would just be a bunch of people playing poker. But because she's taking a cut from it, she's effectively profiting from it. Um, so this is, uh, if you're familiar with Aaron Sorkin, I'll just reel off a few of his movies that you might have, you might have seen. So things like Charlie Wilson's War, uh, The Social Network, Moneyball, Steve Jobs, Uh, He was also the producer and writer on, um, I think, most of the series of The West Wing and a couple of other things like Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, uh, things of that kind. So, you know, he's been around for a while. He also wrote um, A Few Good Men as well, which is a favourite of mine. Um, The much, much parodied uh, scene in which Jack Nicholson says, you can't handle the truth, but actually that is an incredible scene. It's really well written. So, you know, Sorkin is a really good writer. He writes fantastic dialogue, like machine-gun-fast dialogue. Um, he, he likes to write about people who are flawed and driven. And I really like his work. However, uh, there is a caveat with this, and th- this is his directorial and writing debut. So, you know, he's written a lot of movies before. He's written a lot of TV. He's been a producer. He's never directed a movie before, and he's, here he's directing his own work. That might be the problem with this film because it's, uh, you know, the phrase information dense applies to it in that there's just so much of it flying at you. There's there's um, Jessica Chastain's uh, voiceover, uh, which is interesting. It does tell you about what's going on, but there's, there's too much of it. Uh, there's not enough show me and there's too much tell me in this movie. Um, so her voiceover, there's also the dialogue between characters is... Very well delivered. There's an awful lot of it, an awful lot of dialogue in this film. This this could almost be a stage play. Um, There's so much dialogue. Uh, And I found it to be exhausting. And it's such a shame because I really like Sorkin. I really like the the leads in this cast. Uh, The story is interesting and intriguing in that how does someone who was a professional athlete end up running illegal poker games, (laughs) How does that happen? You know, it, but that is an interesting story. Um, unfortunately though, I just couldn't focus on it for long enough and it is a long movie as well. It's, uh, I'm just going to have a look at the running time. 140 minutes. You know, that's, that is a long film. So, uh, it's, it's a bit too, wait well, it's, it's a lot too long for the subject matter. Uh, there are times when, when the story just doesn't move on at all, really. um, uh, although the script is good, the performances are great, it's exhausting. Uh, so I, so I, it's the kind of thing where I would kind of recommend, I do recommend it though, um, even though it is exhausting, I would recommend that if you're going to watch this, you split it into chunks um, uh, so that you can get through it all because I could not get through it in one sitting. It was just uh, like having information blasted at you off, off a screen. Uh, it's just too much. Uh, But it is good. It's very, very good indeed. I think, um, uh, although it's information dense, it's not a bad movie. It's a very, very good film indeed. Uh, And it's um, on Rotten Tomatoes, it's rated 82%, and it says, powered by an intriguing story and a pair of outstanding performances from Jessica Chastain and Idris Elba, Molly's Game marks a solid debut for writer-director Aaron Sorkin. I think that's true. I think it is solid. I think that next time out, um, you know, like there's me sitting here in a studio in Glastonbury giving tips to Aaron Sorkin. But, you know, next time out, I would say get a good editor to trim it more for you and cut down on the the information coming off the screen because it's just too much but, you know, that's kind of like saying someone who makes fantastic chocolate cake to, you know, make it less fantastic. That's not really what I mean, though. Uh, And it's rated 15. Uh, And I do recommend it, even though it it is exhausting to watch. It is very good. Uh, That was The Ravenettes with a track called With My Eyes Closed. And before that, we had Sly and the Family Stone with a track called Everybody Is A Star. Those are both from the soundtrack to a movie called Molly's Game. I talked about just before that. Okay, final film this week is All the Money in the World. It's a 2017 crime thriller film directed by Ridley Scott, written by David Scarper, based on John Pearson's 1995 book Painfully Rich, The Outrageous Fortunes and Misfortunes of the Heirs of J. Paul Getty. It stars Michelle Williams, Christopher Plummer, but not Kevin Spacey, Mark Wahlberg, Romaine Duris, Charlie Plummer, Andrew Buchan and Timothy Hutton. And the film depicts J. Paul Getty's refusal to cooperate with the extortion demands of a group of kidnappers from the organised crime mafia group Nag... Mm. I'm going to get this wrong, but... Nag... Uh, Nag... N- 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 Dra- no, Dragon Gator, I think it is, who abducted his grandson, John Paul Getty the Third, in 1973. So Kevin Spacey originally portrayed Getty appearing in the film's initial marketing campaign. However, after after multiple sexual misconduct allegations were levelled against Spacey, the role was recast with Plummer and scenes were reshot just a month prior to the film's release. I think this is the first time that this has ever happened in a movie where someone's been uh, replaced and then they've reshot all of the scenes that they were in. I mean, it should be noted that um, J. Paul Getty is not really the main focus of the film. He is he is very much a supporting character in the film. But even so, they had to reshoot all of those scenes that had Spacey in with um with Christopher Plummer. I'd love to have been a fly on the wall when Ridley Scott phoned up Kevin Spacey and said, sorry, you're out. That's it. Bye. And and then hung up because that did happen. Um but this is, I think you know, if you watch it on its own terms and don't watch it for like, oh, let's see if I can see the join. Let's see if we can see the bits where Spacey was and Christopher Plummer is now. Um, If you don't watch it in that way, it's actually, it's a really good crime thriller uh, with a fantastic central performance by Michelle Williams, who plays the mother of John Paul Getty III, who's been kidnapped in Italy. Um, Her performance is fantastic. Also, marking Mark Wahlberg, who... He's usually okay in films, you know. He's not the best, but he, you know, he keeps working. I can't begrudge him that. Maybe I can. Um, he's also very good as uh, J. Paul Getty, Getty's um, head of security, who accompanies Michelle Williams' character to Italy uh, to try and facilitate the return of her son. Um, yeah, it's good. I really liked it. I think. Um, In Ridley Scott's, I think in someone else's hands, this could have been, say someone like uh, Steven Soderbergh um, or someone like Paul Greengrass, this could have been a more conventional-looking kind of film. But because it's Ridley Scott, uh, he's working with a fantastic uh, cinematographer in the shape of, he says, looking at his sheet, uh, Darius Walski, who's a long-time collaborator. It looks beautiful. So there's some really beautiful shots in this film. Um, uh, mostly set in Italy, but uh, also in the United States and England. Um, it's good, I think. That it may not be a, a massive uh, natural fit for um, for Ridley Scott to be doing something like this, but I really liked it. I think that Christopher Plummer, you know, with a month to go before release, comes in. He uh, he plays the part. He plays it extremely well. You know, he plays. J. Paul Getty as a really unsympathetic, avaricious, money-driven, um, unpleasant character, and you know, unrepentantly unpleasant, and plays it extremely well. Um, and I, you know, having looked at the film now and thought about it, I think that you know, had Spacey had had um, Spacey not been such a jerk in his life uh, that maybe uh, we would have seen his performance in this film. I think that given what we know about the performances he can do, he would have done it very well. But Plummer is in it and he is the Jay Paul Getty that we have and he's very good. Um, there's also some quite nasty violence uh, in uh, uh, whilst the kid is being held, held captive. Uh, some nasty stuff happens that I won't talk about uh, that uh, had me wincing quite a lot and I'm quite hard to shock I think in that respect. On Rotten Tomatoes it has a rating of 78% and it says the film offers an absorbing portrayal of a true story brought compellingly to life by a powerful performance from Christopher Plummer. Yeah it is powerful but I think that other performances uh, notably Michelle Williams and Mark Wahlberg are also very good indeed. Um, Post-release the film suffered from more controversy when it was revealed that uh, during reshoots, Michelle Williams got paid a fraction of what Mark Wahlberg got paid. Um, Obviously, that's not his fault. He didn't know what other people were getting paid, but he donated his fee uh, to a charity, which I thought was uh, pretty cool. So um, hats off to you. And it's rated 15. Okay, let's have a look at some DVD picks. This is quite a good week this week, actually. Uh, we've got uh, Coco is out on DVD and Blu-ray, 3D, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera. Uh, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri is released on DVD and Blu-ray. The Post has been released. Uh, and Insidious Colomb, The Last Key, which I think is the last in that franchise, didn't get great reviews, but I'm still watching it because I like the Insidious franchise. So there's a bunch of um, Oscar contenders there, and there's Insidious as well so if you fancy watching those i think they're all out from monday there's no new good robot annie's podcast we've been away for a few weeks now but i think we're going to record one next week subject matter to be decided probably be a movie i should think um is there anything else to talk about yes there is so let's talk about uh, solo a star wars story very briefly released uh next week uh, they lost directors in the shape of and Miller. They gained a director in the shape of Ron Howard, who reshot, I think the reports have said, 80% of the film. It's been getting good reviews. People saying that, although it's a little bit on the nose at times, it's still worth it. So uh, I'm going to go and see that anyway. Anyway, that is the show. Thank you very much for listening, and it's time to hand over to Ian. Thank you for downloading and listening to this podcast from GFM 107.1. Don't forget that you can follow me on Twitter at Cockers underscore 97 and on my Facebook page, which is Andy's Movie Mashup.